Welcome this morning. It's good to see each of you here. I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning. You know, I, as I woke up this morning and I was inspired by the message last night, and I woke up to have some extra time for my devotions, and I was reading through in Romans chapter 12 and contemplating what we've covered so far. And as I was praying, I picked up this booklet we were given. How many of you have, have looked at this? It's incredible. Pick it up if you don't have it. Read through it. I was reading through on identity and, and just going through how, how God has this special plan for us. And I was just inspired again by Romans chapter 12 and I wanted to just be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I was excited this morning. I welcome each of you here. I'm excited to be able to hear Pastor Conway again this morning as I've talked with many of you. You've received such a blessing already, amen, in the one time he's met with us. So welcome to the Friday morning devotional, Pastor Conway. Steve Conway is going to share with us again. He is the director of pastoral care for campus. And as I met him backstage for the first time, I said, Pastor Conway, tell me something about yourself. And he said, really, I'm not such an exciting person. He said, but I love working with young people, amen. He has a wife of almost seven years and two children, Israel and Abigail, and they both have been working with young people, just wanting to to share their love for Christ with them. And I can see the passion that he has for young people. So I'm excited he's going to share with us again this morning. The message today is nothing between. And I encourage you, as Pastor Conway shares, to be in prayer for him that God will guide his words, that the Holy Spirit will be here and that God will give each of us a special special message. There's many here this morning, and God has a special message for each one of us. He wants to transform us this morning so that we may be a true Christian. Before Pastor Conway comes up, Taylor Paris is going to give us our opening prayer. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Jesus, we come before you this morning excited about what you're going to share with us through Pastor Conway. And I pray that you would anoint his lips so that the message that he shares will be just what we need this morning. Lord, we pray that as we come before you, that you would just help us to behold your beauty and to inquire in your temple so that we can have a greater understanding of you and your love for us. Thank you so much, Lord. Be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you out again this uh, morning. I hope that you all aren't staying up too late. We see the latecomers now. That's all right. It's a good thing that the doors of probation have not swung shut. Good thing. You know, I was reading, I was reading a while ago about um, an experience in Western Germany or in West Germany, the old West Germany. And the president of the United States, his name was John F. Kennedy. He was there in West Germany and he was giving a speech. And as he was giving a speech, trying to show the support of the United States for those who are living on the other side uh, of the wall uh, in, in, in Berlin, 
he was giving this speech and, and he reached the end of his speech and the entire crowd was kind of just caught up in a frenzy. And JFK wanted to say, I am a Berliner. But instead, he said, I am a jelly donut. Now, no one really paid attention to what he said that particular day. <clears throat> Excuse me, because everyone was so caught up in uh, the excitement of this whole speech that was taking place. But I thought to myself, what a tremendous amount of pressure it would be on one person. A worldwide figure on a public stage with his enemies littered throughout the audience, all of them salivating at the opportunity for his own words to produce the press clippings that they would use to destroy him. Now, if JFK and other world figures could experience these types of pressures, what about Jesus? Not only men, but demons were present every time Jesus opened his lips. And they were waiting for the chance, the opportunity to pervert the teachings of Christ and use them against him. And yet it would seem, when one reads the Gospels, that Jesus said some things that quite simply didn't seem to make sense. Some of the things that Jesus said, uh, they leave me scratching my head and I'm asking myself, did Jesus really mean to say that? Is it possible that Jesus made a mistake? Is it possible that he stumbled somehow in his speech? Or did he really intend to say things just the way that he did? I want us to take a look at a passage of scripture this morning. And uh, we're going to see whether or not Jesus really meant to say what he did here. It's found in Luke chapter 5. What book did I say? In Luke chapter 5, <clears throat> and I'm just going to read this uh, particular verse here. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. Jesus' followers were yet to reach the lofty number of twelve. But the miracle of the fish and the leper, who no longer had leprosy, quickly heightened a sense of excitement concerning this new teacher. Please do not take this point lightly. In Luke chapter 5, the Bible says that they came out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. This would mean that some had traveled over 100 miles to hear Jesus. You didn't travel that far in those times unless you expected something great to take place. 
This crowd is comprised of people who are there for different reasons. There are enemies there in the crowd. There are excitement seekers and those who are there out of sheer desperation. All pressing, stretching, squinting, leaning in order to be able to not only hear but see Jesus simultaneously. Suddenly, a steady rustling on the rooftop arrests everyone, including Jesus' attention. All eyes are fastened on the couch that is slowly and methodically being let down to where Jesus is. Those who are seated nearest the Savior are indignant that someone would dare stoop to such means, while at the same time they are all hesitant to relinquish their places of comfort for this, this intruder. Stairs of amazement and stairs of indignation are turned to stairs of pity as bed sores and sagging flesh are revealed. This guy was obviously not going to be deterred from what he felt was maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity. And Jesus looks on this poor palsied soul and speaks those words. Man, arise, take up your couch, go home, kiss the wife and kiss the kids and tell them Jesus sent you. No, that's not what he said. Although it would have flowed perfectly with the rest of Luke chapter 5. I mean, men need fish and so Jesus provides fish. A man needs clean and healthy skin and so Jesus heals the leper. Did Jesus really mean to say what he did here? I mean, obviously, a person who's laying on a bed doesn't need to be forgiven of their sins. The most obvious and pressing need is to be healed. I remember I was at a soup kitchen in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, there were two homeless gentlemen who were there while uh, myself and a group of young people were doing some ministry there. And uh, I remember hearing the conversation of these two men who were seated there. They were speaking about the different shelters that they had been staying in over the past few weeks. And one of them mentioned a specific shelter. And he said, you know, the food there is great. And the beds that they provide us to sleep in, I mean, the most comfortable beds that you can find around. But they ask us to have Bible studies. I mean, man, I don't need Bible study. All I need is a bite to eat and a place to stay. And when they press Bible study on you, it makes that place become uncomfortable. And I thought to myself, here are two gentlemen who perhaps do not really understand their soul's deep need. But Jesus always did. He always did. As Jesus speaks the words, man, your sins are forgiven you. I can imagine that those who were seated there in the crowd, the enemies of Christ, who even at this particular point in his ministry were already looking for an excuse to ignore him. I can imagine when those words were uttered, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Bible says, the Bible says that the people began to reason or think in their minds. And I can imagine that, 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 that eyes shot back and forth across the room and they thought to themselves, we've got him. We've got him. 
Maybe they were already imagining the headlines in the Jerusalem Times or the Galilean Gazette. New teacher proved to be false teacher. Because he claims to have power that only God possesses. This surely would quiet this, this, this tumultuous uproar, uproar that was taking place as a result of the ministry and healing and powerful teaching of Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus read their minds. You know, sometimes I'm glad that God doesn't let me read folks' minds. Oh, not sometimes. I'm just glad. I know I couldn't be trusted with the ability to read someone's minds. I mean, if it was me and I was there and, and people started to think these things and I was Jesus, I would have just, let, let, me, let me just suspend gravity for a minute. They're asking, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Let me just suspend gravity. And then all of a sudden, those who are thinking these thoughts, they fly up to the roof. And hopefully none of them is, is, is sitting close to the area where the roof had been opened up and the paralytic man had been let down. Because, you know, they would go up a long way. I would just suspend it for a few seconds. And then I would, oh, oh, I'm sorry, gravity. Because Colossians 1.17 tells us that through Jesus Christ, all things are held together. And so I would just allow gravity to, to be restored to those individuals. And then as they would hit the floor, and they would try to explain themselves, I would just take away the breath just for about two seconds. And as they're there gasping for air, oh, let me turn the air back on. You were thinking, you were getting ready to say, I'm glad I don't have those abilities. Jesus did none of that. However, Jesus would give them an example, an illustration that none of them would ever forget. Jesus would teach here in Luke chapter 5 that I have power. Aren't you glad Jesus has power? I am. Jesus leaves us much to consider here. This physical healing, according to Luke chapter 5, and let me read it to you again in verse 23. Whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say rise up and walk, but that ye, verse 24, may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins. Arise. Take up thy couch. Take up thy couch. This physical healing was a lesson book on what transpired before all of their eyes when Jesus had spoken earlier, your sins are forgiven you. But even though it took place right in front of their eyes, they all missed it. And here we are, 2,000 years later, reading of this wonderful incident, and we have missed it also. We want to make sure today that no impulse comes between us, no thought comes between us and what Jesus is here trying to communicate. Well, what is Jesus communicating here in Luke? Chapter 5, verse 20, the first few words give us a lesson. And when he saw their faith. Forgiveness comes as a gift that is in response to our faith. Do you know that there are some people who don't believe that Jesus 
would forgive them? Especially those of us who are Christians. You know, because we've gone through an amazing facts lesson of, or, or set of Bible studies or discover Bible school. We've gone through all of this stuff and we know better. Oh yeah, when I was out there partying and dancing and, and doing my thing and I was ignorant about what was right, surely God could forgive me then, but what about now after I know? Because I knew what my friends knew about me, but that didn't stop me from doing the things that I did around them and with them. I knew that my life was supposed to be a living testimony to the power of God, and yet I allowed myself to become a comic strip of the power of Satan and temptation. Could God forgive me when I sinned and I knew that I shouldn't have done it? I'm not talking about a stumble. I'm not talking about a slip. I'm talking about a willful plunge into that which is disheartening and that which is displeasing to a loving God. We don't believe that God can forgive us. But Jesus says, the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is, let me add this, this is the Conway translation, he is still, he is still faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me hear you say amen. Jesus is still able to forgive us our sins and in first john chapter 1 verse 9 it says he is faithful he is faithful he is faithful jesus has given us every reason this side of heaven to believe that he is faithful why on earth should we doubt him in luke chapter 5 verse 21 the bible says the scribes and the pharisees began to reason saying who is this which speaketh blasphemies who can forgive sins but God alone? The question reveals that they understood that all sin was ultimately against God. David also understood this for in Psalm 51 verse 4, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. What do you mean against thee and thee only? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about the nation that you were supposed to be a leader of? How can you say this, David? David understood that sin is the transgression of God's law, like the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. And whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. And because God's law is a transcript of his character, in a primary sense, when we sin, it is ultimately God that we have sinned against. Who can forgive sins but God? Since ultimately all of our sins are against him. News bulletin, Jesus is God. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that though this morning. Jesus didn't flash his credentials. He simply would show them. In Luke chapter 5, verse 24. This is the good part. <laughs> but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into 
thine house. Remember, this miracle was a teaching illustration. It was a living lesson book about what transpires when God forgives us. So the healing mirrors forgiveness. If this is true, Jesus is teaching us that forgiveness, forgiveness includes but is not limited to the removal of or condom, the removal of condemnation, excuse me, and guilt, but it also deals with the exchange of qualities. You didn't get that, did you? Let me say it again. Forgiveness includes but is not limited to the removal of condemnation and guilt, but it also includes the exchange of qualities. Now, let's say that I was paralyzed from the waist down since I was about 10 years old. And I'm 29. That will be 19 years that I'm paralyzed from the waist down. 19 long years. Now, If I began to regain some feeling and movement in my legs, that would mean that my condition or the condition of paralysis was being removed, right? But even if I had feeling and movement in my legs, would that mean that I would then be able to get up and walk immediately? No. Why? Because I haven't used my muscles in 19 long years. So even though my condition or my status has been changed, I still lack power. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. So when Jesus heals this man and Jesus says, I say to you, arise and take up your couch. Jesus was not only removing his condition. Wait a minute. What was his condition? I tell you, Jesus picked just the right God to heal on this day. The Bible says that he was a man who had a palsy. And in some of your versions, it will say that he was a paraplegic or he was paralyzed. Let me tell you what a palsy is. It's a paralysis that is accompanied by involuntary tremors. They missed it, Holy Ghost. We're going to, yeah, okay, all right. A paralysis that is accompanied by involuntary tremors, which means he could not make his body do what he wanted it to do, and he couldn't stop his body from doing what he didn't want it to do. They still didn't get it, Holy Ghost. This was a man who was not in control of himself. Here was a man whose body would start to shake his arms or legs, and his brain didn't tell his body to do it, but his body just started to do it. And I imagine that he was, he was ashamed at what his body was doing, but he had no control. And even if he wanted to reach out for an ice-cold glass of water to quench his thirst on a warm or a hot summer's day, he could not get his muscles to respond to what his mind wanted his body to do. And Jesus picks this individual who is there in a state of impotence and says, not only will I change your status, not only will I remove your condemnation and your guilt, but immediately when I do that, I will give you power. We have too low an estimate of the forgiveness of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. What book did I say? (laughs) Woo, it's getting good, it's getting good. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Listen, listen, friends of mine. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, listen to what the Apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, in whom we have redemption through his blood. What do the next words say? Mm-mm, y'all didn't get it. Okay, we got to go over to Colossians now. Come on. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what Paul says here to the folks in Colossae under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It's as though Paul is saying, listen, let me, let me, let me give you the gospel in its concentrated form. The gospel in its concentrated form is forgiveness. <laughs> Woo! If you want to know what redemption is, look at forgiveness. Where God takes what you are and replaces it with what he is. In fact, that's what the word forgive means. It means to give for. So God takes my wretchedness and in place of my wretchedness, he replaces it with his righteousness. God takes my impurity and replaces it with his purity. God takes my, my, my guilt and replaces it with his innocence. God takes my impotence and replaces it with his power. We have too low an estimate of what forgiveness is. Do you know when you're on your knees, when I'm on my knees and we say, Lord, forgive me. God has not only taken away our sins, but he has also simultaneously given us his power. That's what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 5. Arise, take up your couch. Jesus meant to say exactly what he did. Let me read something to you. All forgiveness is rooted in, in an act of substitution because we've talked about how forgiveness comes as a result of the heart yearning out after God in faith. We've talked about how forgiveness, forgiveness, it really only comes from God because all sin is ultimately against God. And let me give a commercial break. Holy Ghost, help me to pick up where I'm leaving off. Thank you very much. So in this commercial break, yeah, I really can't understand why some of my Christian friends seem to believe that what took place on Calvary dismissed dismisses dismisses the law of God it cannot be when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane he was there and he was praying fervently and earnestly do you know what Jesus said he said if it is possible what he meant was if it is possible for what is getting ready to transpire, if it's possible for it to take place by any other means, let it be so. Calvary was proof that the law of God could not be changed, even to save or preserve the life of God himself. So it cannot be that the law of God is done away with. Calvary proves that God's law cannot change. He didn't change it to save the life of his son. Commercial has ended. So we've talked about the fact that 
all sin is ultimately against God because the law of God is the character of God. And, and so all of our sins are ultimately against God. And we have spoken of how forgiveness is an exchange of qualities, our impotence for God's power. But now I want to give you an example that even goes a, a bit further. All forgiveness is rooted in an act of substitution. An act of what? An act of what? Whoever forgives another person must actually substitute himself for the one he forgives. Now, I want you to put your thinking caps on now. And I'm going to go slow because I don't want you to miss it. Whoever forgives another person must actually substitute himself for the one he forgives and be willing to suffer the consequences of the wrong done. For example, if I forgive someone a debt, I must be prepared to suffer the loss of the amount, even though it wasn't in my budget. If I forgive a blow, I must be willing to suffer the pain of it without requiring the one who gave it to be punished. Justice requires that every offender be recompensed in proportion to what he or she has done, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The one who gives a blow must also suffer an equal blow in return. Forgiveness, however, relieves the offender from receiving what he legally deserves. The forgiver, and remember all sin is ultimately against God, the forgiver accepts the consequence himself in order that the guilty one can go free without punishment. Thus, there is clearly a substitution of the innocent for the guilty in every act of forgiveness. As a further demonstration, let us imagine that a murdered man, follow me people of God, that a murdered man could forgive his murderer from beyond the grave. Use your sanctified imaginations with me. He would, in effect, be consenting to his own death in order that the killer would not be punished. By accepting the results of the offense against him, he allows his own death, have mercy, he allows his own death to satisfy the penalty which could be legally laid upon the murderer. Did you hear what I just said? Now I told you to use your imagination, but you actually don't have to use your imagination because that last illustration actually happened in the person of Jesus Christ. He was murdered, <laughs> but thank God he was also resurrected. And Jesus said, even though they have murdered me, even though their sins nailed me to the cross, even though their sins are responsible, even though each and every man, woman, boy and girl alive is responsible for my death, let my death be the punishment for their crime. Are you with me this morning? That was from The High Cost of the Cross. Neat little booklet by Joe Cruz in the section on forgiveness. Let me read what another author says. But forgiveness has a broader meaning than many suppose. 
When God gives the promise that he will abundantly pardon, he adds as if the meaning of that promise exceeded all that we could comprehend. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 7 through 9. God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which he sets us free from condemnation. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but reclaiming from sin. It is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms. That does what? That transforms the heart. David had the true conception of forgiveness when he prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Now we've talked about forgiveness, and I see I've got a little bit more time. <laughs> so we'll keep on chugging along here. Don't worry, we're almost done. What does forgiveness look like? We've talked about the illustration that Jesus gave. But what about in your life? What about in mine? What does forgiveness really look like in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 Jesus uttered one of the most uh, <laughs> well you know it's really not a paradoxical statement but some folks find it to be in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 Jesus said be ye therefore perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect but if you read the context of Matthew chapter 5 in that greatest of sermons the bulk of what Jesus is speaking about is relationships yeah and specifically within the context of relationships Jesus is speaking about forgiveness and how we treat our enemies Holy Ghost I cannot be held responsible for what is getting ready to transpire in Matthew chapter 5, go there with me. Matthew chapter 5. Take a look at verse 21. And I encourage you, if you haven't spent time, you know, uh, reading that Sermon on the Mount, please do it. Oh, this thing is just laced with power. I mean, this whole conference could just be on that. <laughs> and none of us would be tired. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. In one of Jesus' many, ye have heard. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now let me just pause here. Because a lot of you might be thinking to yourselves, well, see, Jesus is not really talking to me. Because I got some reasons to be angry at some folks. And I could write you an entire manuscript on reasons why I have to be angry at individuals. But when Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 
chapter 5 and he says, whoever is angry at his brother without a cause. He's not saying you don't have a reason to be angry. The word there for cause in the original language means vanity. And what does vanity mean? Worthlessness. In other words, Jesus is saying you are angry to no end. There is no resolution to the situation. Your anger doesn't lead you to the foot of the cross. Your anger doesn't lead you to a point of restitution and resolution and reconciliation. You are just, it's just enough for you to be mad. And you don't want this problem to be solved. You don't want any reconciliation. I just want to stay mad. You ever been like that? Somebody, oh brother, oh, you like, get off of me. Just let me burn with this anger. Let me enjoy it for a little bit. Let me bathe in it. Leave me alone. And Jesus says that if we're angry like that, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Verse 23, therefore, 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 because as Christians, we are not to cherish this anger that leads to nothing but more anger. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Friends of God, God is not impressed with how much you pay to register at GYC. God is not impressed that it may have taken you, some of you, over 30 hours to drive here. Not impressed. God is not even impressed that we showed up this morning, you or me. If we have come here and we know, notice what Jesus says. We know that there's someone who has something against us. Did you hear me, friends of God? If that's the way we've come here, Jesus says, I am not interested in your worship. I don't even want it. It stinks in my nostrils. Before you dare to come before me and offer up something with these types of things resonating in your heart, let me give you some counsel. Leave it there. Don't even go ahead with it. Go and be reconciled and then come. Did you hear what Jesus said? You know, I had this experience in my own life at last year's GYC. I had something against someone that had been resonating and burning in my heart. And in Chattanooga, God told me, get rid of it, Steve. I said, Jesus, let me hang on to it just for a little bit longer. He said, Steve, there they are. This is your opportunity. Go speak to them. Go speak to them. And Chattanooga passed, and I didn't say a word. And every time I saw this individual, I looked the other way. Come talking to me. You're not going to say hi to me. I'm not going to say hi to you. Don't need you anyway. Here I was, a seminar presenter. 
telling people about goodness and this and goodness and that. Walking around supposed to be a man of the gods of the gospel, a man of God. And I'm harboring foolishness in my heart. Are any of you walking around like that today? So last year in Baltimore, Holy Spirit accosted me and drug me up into a corner and slapped me around and said, boy, what's wrong with you? Don't let this opportunity pass. And I said, Lord, I, I, I surrender. So I found that individual and I said, listen, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Forgive me. And I'm not going to leave here until you pray for me that God will continue to transform my heart. It's real, brothers and sisters. This is not something that Jesus is playing around with. Because if forgiveness is what we have said it is, what Jesus has said it is, then forgiveness must transform us. I cannot claim that I've experienced the wonder of forgiveness and forgiveness and my preaching about forgiveness lacks power if I've not really experienced it. How on earth am I going to eloquently paint the picture of how Jesus Christ forgives each and every one of us if my life has not really been transformed through Christ's forgiveness? Leave your gift. Leave your gift there at the altar. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. <laughs> I'm not looking for how much you can sacrifice. I'm not looking for how much you can offer. What I am looking for is a body. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. I'm looking for a body so that I can manifest myself through that body. And today, we have come into this place and God has not been impressed with the fact that we've showed up. God is not looking for how well we can sing. God is looking for someone in this place who's willing to say, Lord, here's my body. No, that text didn't just refer to Jesus Christ. You are still looking for a body. And today I offer you my body. Forgive me. Take everything that I am and give me everything that you are. Oh, Lord, we do not understand that. The Bible says that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If we've got Jesus, we've got everything. Take everything that I am and give me everything that you are. So that there is nothing, nothing between my soul and my Savior. So that there is nothing between me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends of God, a choice not to forgive is a choice to live outside of the power of God. And you know, I'm not going to Exhaust this and uh, some of you may be thinking well, wait a minute. Uh, well, brother, you didn't that's not my not my purpose Because I've discovered 
that as Seventh-day Adventists, we're people who love lines. We want to look, <laughs> we want to look for extremes on this side and on that side. And what we're really searching for is an excuse not to do what God has plainly asked us to do. Well, brother, what about this? Yeah, but what about that? Well, wait a minute, I didn't hear you. Just do what God says. Just do it. I love the story of Corey Ten Boom, who says that here she was going around telling everybody about forgiveness in the book, The Hiding Place. <clears throat> telling them about the experience that she had when all of a sudden one day, one of, the, one of the officers at the prison camp, who was chiefly responsible for the death of her sister, comes up and says, you mean God will forgive even me? And extends the arm. <laughs> She says, I could not move. Luke chapter 5, we were just reading about somebody whose body wouldn't respond to what his mind told him to do. And here's Corey Ten Boom preaching about forgiveness and a hand is extended and asking, will God forgive even me? And at this particular point in God, in time, excuse me, she is God's ambassador, his representative. And she's paralyzed. She cannot move. She says, I offered a prayer. Lord, help me. Still no movement. And then she says, she offered a second prayer. Lord, I don't have it in me. Give me what you have and what you are. <laughs> and her paralysis was removed. And the power of God was infused into her arms. And she lifted them and extended the hand towards that man. Shook his hand as God's ambassador saying, yes, even you. But you don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter. Even you. Even you. When I was in Guyana a few years ago, I heard this story. There was a little boy on the streets and he was hungry. He had nothing to eat and he was wandering up and down the streets aimlessly and all of a sudden as he is wandering he comes to a bakery and you know how they do it right they have to have those fans on top blowing the smell all out they can't reach out and grab you but they can put enough smells in your nostrils Woo! so this little boy who's hungry and he hasn't eaten for some time he's walking and he smells this bakery and it draws him to the window and they've got all types of pastries and all types of wonderful things there in the window. And this little boy is sitting there. He's standing there, excuse me, looking through the glass. A man walks up. Looks at the little boy. Looks at his clothing. Looks at the expression on his face. And says, would you like to come inside and eat? At first, it was though the little boy didn't even hear him. But then he shook out of his trance and, what did you say, mister? I said, would you like to come inside and eat? The man went over to the door and opened it and waved the little boy in. And with a sense of excitement and amazement, the little boy slowly stepped in to this bakery. Oh, now he was literally wrapped in the aroma of fresh baked bread and donuts and pastries and everything and the man said have a seat 
And he helped the little boy up to the counter. And the little boy takes a seat. And the man says, order anything you want and eat as much as you like. And the little boy cracks a smile. And he begins to order and the first plate of food is brought out. And he begins to devour this plate of food. And the next plate of food is brought out. And he's devouring different types of breads and pastries. And his belly is slowly becoming filled. And the man smiles. And the little boy smiles back at the man. And the man says to the little boy, isn't it nice to eat with no glass in between? Isn't it nice to eat with no glass in between? Some of us have come here to this conference and we've come here with a burden and a longing on our hearts. It is, though, it is as though the Christian experience is on the other side of a glass. We can smell it. We can see it. We can see others enjoying it and experiencing it. But for some reason, when we reach out our hands, our hands, our fingers hit the glass and we cannot grasp it. It seems as though it cannot become a reality for us. And today, Jesus says, what has stood between you and experiencing the reality of my power in your life? It's forgiveness. Forgiveness. You've not understood how I forgive you. And you've not understood what forgiveness means to you. And today Jesus opens the door. And he asks, can you smell it? Do you want it? Come in and have as much as you would like. Sit at the table of grace and eat and experience the realities of what it means to be a Christian with no glass in between. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Father in heaven, we thank you so very much for the glorious gift of forgiveness. There's so much that could have been said this morning that has been left unsaid. We would not have the time to expound upon this. And even if we did, we would still fall short. Because throughout eternity, we will seek to know more and more about what we have begun to explore on this day. But that doesn't mean we cannot experience it. Today... There may be someone here who has doubted your ability to forgive them. There may be someone here who has not fully understood what takes place when he or she is forgiven. Lord, forgive me for my sins and now help me to be this and help me to be that. Not understanding that the moment that our guilt and our condemnation has been removed, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We don't need to prove ourselves. All we need to do is just be what you've given us the glorious power to be. And then there may be some here today who have never experienced the freedom that comes 
from this act of substitution. My pain for being gossiped about is enough. My pain for being walked out on by my father or my mother is enough. My pain for being mistreated in an abusive relationship is enough. If you could forgive me, I choose to forgive those who have hurt me. I'm through with anger without a cause. Today I'm finished. If you have been spoken to by the Spirit of God on this day and you know that you need to be forgiven and accept God's gift of forgiveness in a very real way in your life or if you know that you, in fact, need to forgive, you've come to GYC, but now you realize that what God is really looking for was not just you to show up, but he was looking for you to forgive. And this is an appeal for those who really, really are willing to say, Jesus, I believe and I accept. Stand to your feet right now. Don't wait. Don't look around. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, if the miracles of Jesus, the acts of healing were illustrations of how you can remove the cancer of sin and replace it with the perfect wholeness of Jesus, we are astounded that there were entire towns in which you could heal no one. But I don't want it to be said of me today. And those who are standing are saying, we don't want it to be said of us today that Jesus could not do for us what he wanted to do because we were unwilling to believe. To believe that there could be forgiveness for a mother or a father who did hurtful things to us. There could be forgiveness. For those who have abandoned us, there could be forgiveness for those who have purposely hurt us. We believe and we are standing because we don't want anything to stand between us and the reality of Jesus. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Help us to understand more and more each day of this glorious gift of forgiveness. And then as our lives are transformed, may we be empowered to forgive as we have been forgiven. Because you've told us that you forgive us as we forgive. Not because we forgive, but as we forgive. We confess we don't have the power. 
<laughs> we don't have the will. We don't have the desire. But Lord, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices and say, Lord, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. May your grace flow freely through each and every one here on their feet today. Man, woman, boy, or girl, by the authority of the power of Jesus and his ministry on high for us, our sins are forgiven. <laughs> Whew, our sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.